Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining us for our second episode of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. I'm producer and co-host Jen Brown. I'm here with my cosmic collaborator and my favorite astrologer, April <laughs> Elliott Kent. <laughs> Hello, Jen. <laughs> Hi, April. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I can't believe it's December. That's a little bit crazy. I know. I know. It seems like it should still be March or something like what that. What happened to this year? When you're an astrologer, you always, at this time of year, you start looking at the following year and, wow, what are the big aspects going to be? And what are the big shouty planetary changes that are coming up in the year ahead? And I feel like I was just doing this. And now here we are and, and we're headed towards January and we've got this gigantic conjunction of Saturn and Pluto that has, that it feels like it's already been happening all year long. This has been a pretty dicey year. I think. And so it's it's a little bit crazy to already be at this point. And yeah, yeah, December. And I think we've already established, but by conjunction, you just mean that if you're looking out into the cosmos, they are one behind the other. They're kind of occupying the same degree of the same sign longitudinally. So they're, they're obviously, they're different distances from the earth and, uh, you know, different latitudes, perhaps, and all of that. But by longitude, they are occupying the same degree of the same sign. So it's, it's a powerful aspect because it is so it's a little bit like a bomb or like dynamite there's so much energy concentrated <laughs> if you have conjunctions in your chart and i know you have some pretty interesting conjunctions in your birth chart i do yeah well i don't know which ones you're referring to well i'm thinking to, of but... the sun with uranus i think that's that's a pretty important conjunction when you have another planet that is so close to another planet in your chart, especially if it's the sun or the moon or the ascendant, those really personal points. So yeah, Saturn and Pluto coming together in the same sign is big news because they're both pretty formidable planets. And it's it's kind of like if you're watching an old movie and you get two bad guys together in a room, they're, they're probably going to be up to no good. <laughs> So that's kind of what I think of Saturn and Pluto together. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're thought of as the heavy hitters of the cosmos, aren't they? Saturn and Yeah, Pluto. they're definitely heavies. I'm picturing I'm picturing them in pinstripe suits and kind of fingering a violin case and um you know, and they're in Capricorn, which is is a pretty merciless sign a lot of the time. So having the two together has it's been really interesting watching it unfold this year, not just in my life, and I'm sure in your life, but in our country and our world. Yeah, and I feel like I've been hearing about this conjunction coming up of Saturn and Pluto all year long. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I follow astrology blogs and astrology podcasts, and and astrologers have been talking about this very important aspect coming up next year in January, which I'm sure we'll talk more about as, as we approach it. But I've definitely been hearing the, the that it's going to be really meaningful that, as you just said, we've been seeing it play out this year. And boy, the next month will be interesting. What's that proverb? May you live in interesting yeah, times. Yeah, I don't want to live in interesting times anymore. <laughs> I want boring times. I want the times that I thought I was going to grow up in, uh, you know, back, yeah. back on the farm in the halcyon days of yore. What kind of farm did you grow up on? We grew soybeans and corn, a little bit of wheat, 
uh, no animals, so there were not. That's what I was wondering. No, no delightful livestock. I know it's disappointing for someone from dairy country up there, but. Uh, well, my wife grew up on a farm. She and did. You actually, yeah, you don't meet a lot of people that actually grew up on farms. So I always think it's kind of interesting. Oh, that when... is interesting that you say that because back in the day, of course, everybody was from a farm. You know, if you were in the, if you were in the Midwest and you were not in the, what do we want to say? Now we'd call it the Rust Belt, but where a lot of heavy manufacturing and that sort of thing was going on. And, you know, it's a really agricultural part of the country. Uh, but maybe I just think that it's common because clearly it was common where I grew up. <laughs> Everybody was farming. Right, but it's not. I yeah. mean, you know, oh, I didn't know that about Joni. Did they do crops or they do animals? Or um, They did both. Yeah, they did yeah, both. We, so. we just had dogs and cats. There were no yeah. winsome cows or anything like that. So <laughs> it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> yeah, so Saturn Pluto, we're just about ready to move on and start talking about other things. But it has been the big news. I guess we would have been remiss as astrologers if we didn't spend a whole heck of a lot of time talking about it. But yeah, um, and there, it's not that there was nothing else going on this year that was big, but certainly it was all overshadowed. And in fact, we're going to talk today about Jupiter entering Capricorn, which it's doing uh, the week of December 2nd, actually on December 2nd. This podcast will um, land on December 3rd. So this just happened yesterday, but the energy is still happening. Yeah, absolutely. So Jupiter takes... Yeah, tell us about that. Well, let me let me run down the dossier on our friend Jupiter. Please do. <laughs> Jupiter is, the we call it the planet of expansion and adventure and optimism. So if you just think of a, think of Falstaff in the Shakespeare plays, that's, that's a really helpful archetype. Are you a Shakespeare a person? A little bit, slightly. Okay. And if pe- someone doesn't follow Shakespeare, who was Falstaff? Oh, Falstaff was a big, buoyant, sort of like the fool to young Prince Hal before he became King Henry. And a drinker, a womanizer. A bon vivant, a man about town. Basically, he's that friend that always likes to be having a good time mm-hmm. and is a bigger-than-life personality and always has an entertaining story to tell. And this is Jupiter. Yeah. Okay. There's your Shakespeare lesson yeah, for Shakespeare today, lesson friends. Today. Uh, real Shakespeare people will be throwing their phones right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's my understanding of Paul's stuff. <laughs> So so this is our friend Jupiter. Jupiter has a 12-year cycle to get all the way through the zodiac. So 12 years to go around the sun. Yes. So it's mm-hmm. been since, uh, I think, December 2007 was when Jupiter last entered Capricorn, and it was there through January of 2009. So it's always instructive to me to look back at the last time that a planet was moving through a sign and kind of look at your own life and think about what was going on and look at the world and think about what was going on then. Mm. Jupiter Going into Capricorn is interesting because it's moving from a sign that it rules, Sagittarius, where it's very, very strong and happy and unfettered. It's Falstaff just drinking till he passes out and Uh into a sign, Capricorn, that he's said to be quite disadvantaged. He's in what we call his fall. So he's in a sign that just makes it very much harder for him to do what he naturally does. Because Capricorn likes to focus and be practical, and Jupiter is all about expansion. Yeah, Jupiter's like, wow, what if we do this and this and this? I know a delightful Sagittarian fellow 
who I know very well, who I've been involved with uh, in astrology, who has so many ideas, fantastic ideas. And we would get together in meetings for this group that we belong to, and he would be shooting arrows of enthusiasm and excitement right and left. And of course, I've got Saturn and Capricorn, and I'm a real killjoy. So I'm like, okay, but how are we going to do that? (laughs) Where are the resources going to come from? Am I going to end up doing all this work? So this is Jupiter going into Capricorn. It's like the energy of great enthusiasm and limitless possibility comes face to face with the constraints of practical reality. So if for the last year, we've had a lot of big ideas, a lot of dreams of things we wanted to get done, now's the time for the rubber to meet the road Mm. and say, okay, well, are you going to make something of these great ideas or are they just going to stay great ideas? It's time to apply the vision that you had when Jupiter was in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jupiter doesn't like that very much because it's like putting Falstaff in a three-piece suit and sending him off to the office. And he doesn't (laughs) dig it. (laughs) Of course, he might like that moment in the afternoon where they're always serving cake in the break room. He'd be all over that. So there, there will be cake. But yeah, Jupiter going into Capricorn is just like... The problem with it from Jupiter's point of view is Jupiter thinks... If there are too many rules, it's no longer fun and it's no longer visionary. It's like the distrust of selling out or bringing things down to earth in a practical way. Mm -hmm. Jupiter's mistrustful of that. So with Jupiter entering Capricorn, if you look at your birth chart, which we described last week. (laughs) In our way. (laughs) (laughs) If Jupiter holds a place of prominence in your birth chart, Does it have more significance then when it moves into a new sign? Or does it just have to make exact aspects? I'm thinking of actually, so you know my chart, I have Jupiter on the ascendant. Mm -hmm. And if Jupiter makes these big moves, does it affect my own personal Jupiter? Did that make sense? It makes sense and it's a great question. So we'll start with this. Jupiter in and of himself is one of the biggest presences in the chart. My teacher used to say, if you had nothing else in your chart in the sign that Jupiter is in, you would still be perceived by others very much like the sign that Jupiter is in because it has that amount of force. It's huge. Right. You could fit every other planet and asteroid inside of that one. It's huge. Physically. So its influence is also very, very big. So just Uh know that. So for everybody, Jupiter going into a sign is the zeitgeist really goes through this fundamental shift. And in your own chart, if, for instance, you have the sun, the moon, the ascendant, or a lot of other planets in the signs that Jupiter rules. So Jupiter rules Sagittarius, where it's been for mm-hmm. for the last year. And it's also the traditional ruler of Pisces, which people forget. So if you have significant planets or points or a lot of planets in those signs, you really feel these shifts of Jupiter. And then thirdly, as you point out, if Jupiter is really strong in your chart, and by strong we mean it's placed right on the angle, so the ascendant, the midheaven, which is the cusp of the 10th house, the IC, which is the cusp of the 4th house, or the descendant, which is the cusp of the seventh house. These are real power points in the chart. If a planet is close to those angles, they're exaggerated in their influence. So having Jupiter so close to the ascendant as you have it makes Jupiter particularly strong. And these four angles are the one, if you look at your chart, which is a circle, and you put a cross right in the middle of it, it would land on one of those four spots. Well said. (laughs) And without the treacherous clock analogy. I tried to not use the clock analogy. (laughs) 
I appreciate that, Jen. Please listen to last week's episode if you're curious no, about what don't. we're talking please about. Don't. Please don't. <laughs> it was a bad moment for me. So for everybody, Jupiter changing signs is a big deal. And also the fact that Jupiter is following in the footsteps of Saturn and Pluto. So Pluto went oh. into Capricorn in like 2008. Like cleanup crew. Yes. Uh -huh. So first we had Pluto go into Capricorn in about 2008. The economy completely collapses. Um, a lot of people lose their homes and their jobs, and it's pretty perilous time, pretty difficult, because the energy of Pluto is one of destruction. It says, let's take everything apart. Let's deconstruct everything because it is built on a dicey foundation or there is rot. So we're going to take it apart. Then Saturn comes along into Capricorn, which it did, I want to say, of course, I don't have that handy. I want to say to end of 2017, Saturn goes into Capricorn. So where Pluto is very destructive in nature, Saturn is constructive. So it's like taking a piece of land where you had a building that got completely burned down. That's the Pluto process. And then Saturn comes in and says, okay, well, what are we going to build mm -hmm. where that used to be? And then you have a choice. You say, well, am I going to build something just because I need something really fast because I have no place to live. <laughs> so I'm just going to put up whatever I can in a big hurry. Or am I going to take my time and build a strong foundation and really think about what it is that I'm building? And Saturn entered Capricorn December 19th, 2017. That is what I thought. Thank you. But you were exactly right. I was close. So Jupiter now is coming to back cleanup. So Pluto has destroyed... And Saturn has started building, and now Jupiter comes along. And what Jupiter does really is help us contextualize things and say, all of this stuff has happened to me. This is where I'm trying to go now. What does it all mean? Mm -hmm. So Jupiter's struggling a bit, but he's always a guy we're happy to see coming. It may be false staff in a three-piece suit unhappily going off to work, but when he's there, everybody's really happy to see him show up. Mm -hmm. So Jupiter's a good guy to have coming on the scene after what has been a pretty difficult couple of years. So as you indicated a few minutes ago, one could look back at when Jupiter last entered Capricorn from from December 2007 and was there until January 2009. We could look back at our own personal lives during that window of time and think about what was happening. And we might see echoes of that time if we're old enough to think back and look at that period. However, it would still be different because here Pluto has come through and then Saturn has come through. And now Jupiter's coming through as the street sweeper. No, that's... <laughs> The, the Zamboni. The Zamboni. <laughs> For you hockey lovers. This is probably the only astrology podcast that has ever compared Jupiter to a Zamboni. We can only hope. Uh, well, but at the time that Jupiter last entered Capricorn, it did it just as Pluto was entering Capricorn. So you had okay. this convergence of the two. And what Jupiter can also do is exaggerate the influence of whatever planet it's connecting with. Mm -hmm. So we did have this enormous economic collapse. Jupiter and Saturn in their cycle have a lot to do with the economy. It's expansion and contraction. Oh. They have a 20-year cycle of coming together. And at the end of 2020, they're going to come together in a conjunction. So we're at the end of an economic cycle that started about 19 years ago. Uh -huh. But it hit this very specific moment, of course, the end of 2007, beginning of 2008. 
I sure hope my timeline is right there. It just seems like forever ago. Was it the beginning of 2008 that everything went to? I can tell you exactly when it went. When the stock market crashed, it was October of 2008. And I know that because I had co-founded my nonprofit and the first day of business was October 1st, 2008. I believe it was the Uh following week that the stock market crashed. Aw, Jen. But it was very successful. So, you know, that that we weathered that okay. But I remember that distinctly because it was such a challenging time for so many people. And I had that earmark, you know, I had that point of, okay, this is when the doors open. Next week, the stock market crashes. Oh, no, what's going (laughs) to become of this nonprofit that I just Mm co-founded? What was happening in your life then? I had just published my first book, or I was just getting ready to. My first book came out in January of 2008. Mm -hmm. So really, what I was remembering was Jupiter and Pluto coming together in the sign at the same time, and my timeline was off. So basically, what happened was this was the year leading up to the crash, and that can be well described by Jupiter, which is the planet of... um, great exuberance, (laughs) irrational exuberance, Mm -hmm. going through a sign that it has a difficult time in and also a sign that has a lot to do with corporations, real estate, big business, big money, banking, those kinds of institutions. So for me personally, it was about publishing my first book, uh, which was a disappointing experience. Mm -hmm. And in the year leading up to that with Jupiter and Sagittarius, I I think I had done most of the work already on the book because this big lag time in publishing where you write this thing and then you wait forever while the mighty publicity whirlitzer groans into action with a publishing company. So I was just kind of like for about a year feeling really, really great that I had written a book. And I had this book that was going to come out. Oh, and it's so much work. It was a lot of work yeah. because I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. I never, I was a sprinter. You know, I'd always written essays and short pieces. So uh, writing a book was a really different experience and I really struggled with it. And in the end, it wasn't the greatest, but I'm still proud of some of the writing I did in it. But then when Jupiter went into Capricorn, uh, the book came out and it was Overall, not a great experience. Yeah, it wasn't terribly well received. Mm -hmm. Um, I took some grief from some of my colleagues who were disappointed I hadn't written a more, quote, serious astrology book. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, yeah, it was a learning experience. As life so often is. Isn't it just? Yes. Isn't it just? Mm -hmm. But it's sort of interesting that you, you started, in a sense, a new business venture because I know you've written three books, and the other two have been really well received. And I also started a new business venture. And here we are, in a sense, doing the same thing again. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, Jupiter and Capricorn's a good time for that, isn't it? Because to go into any kind of business venture, and you have to go in with the hope that it's going to be successful. Of course. It's like going into a marriage. You don't go in thinking you're going to get divorced. Mm -hmm. You go in thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. And the things that we begin when Jupiter is in Capricorn don't necessarily go super smoothly and easily. I mean, we've certainly had our struggles (laughs) getting our (laughs) podcast up and running. Um, just for a variety oh. of technical reasons. Yeah. And certainly my writing, my my career as an author got off to a little bit of a sputtering start. But in the end... And now look at you. 
Yay. And now look at me. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. You weathered so. that storm and have had a lot of success. So Well, we'll just see what this one brings. I and so. I think that the podcast, as you say, is a really good sign of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll hope. Yeah. Well, so do you want to say anything else about Jupiter? Should we move on to the first quarter moon that's also coming up? Oh, I think let's talk about that. Okay. I think we've, we'll be talking about Jupiter and Capricorn all year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what can you tell us about this first quarter moon and what that means for all of us down here on planet Earth? Well, we have a first quarter moon every month, of course. And in our last podcast, we talked about the new moon right? and about the darkness of that time and how we go out with great enthusiasm and total blindness to plant some seeds. Uh (laughs) I loved that analogy. Yeah. Yes, and hopes that they will grow. Uh Well, a week later, roughly, we get a first quarter moon. Mm -hmm. And that's when we should theoretically begin to see the new shoots coming up to show us what is germinating and what's coming to fruition. I remember we had a garden in our backyard some years ago. And wow, we planted it on the new moon in Cancer, I think, in the summer, which is a little bit late in the year. But oh my gosh, we had a zucchini that was literally eight pounds. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a very, very fertile cycle. Half the size of your cat. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. So I remember going out and we had to cull. Like when you're growing lettuce, for instance, you you get a whole bunch of little lettuces together and you have to go out and you have to get rid of some of them. Mm -hmm. So there's room for some of them to grow and, and survive and thrive. So the first quarter is very much that process. It's like, oh, I'm starting to see things growing. And not all of them are going to be viable. There's not room for everything here. So we're going to have to choose and take action. It's like the old expression, fish or cut bait. Yeah. This is the moment in the lunar cycle where we just have to act. We just have to trust. Uh, my husband has a relative who used to say, what was the expression? Whatever you do will be wrong. Act at once. <laughs> and that's the... <laughs> To me, that's the epitome of the first quarter phase. You just have to do something. It's not, and, and trust. Mm-hmm. You, you can't necessarily know mm-hmm. that you've made the right decision or it's going to be the right thing. It's a time to act in a, a time when we have to make decisions. Don't overthink it. Not to overthink it, which is diametrically opposed to my nature because I was born at the last quarter. Mm. And we're big on second guessing ourselves. The first quarter is really good at just rolling up their sleeves and jumping in there and getting it done. Interesting. Okay. This first quarter moon is in Pisces. So if we started at the new moon in Sagittarius, which is pure enthusiasm, holding nothing back, rubber to the road. So the first quarter happens in Pisces, which is also ruled by Jupiter, remember. And we're so used to associating Neptune with Pisces, and it's not that there is no experiential overlap there. There is. But Jupiter, we would say, is the ruling planet of Pisces. So really, the first quarter moon in Pisces is extending the energy of that new moon a little bit more than usual into the action realm. And Jupiter will have just moved into Capricorn. Exactly. With the moon in Pisces, does that indicate a certain way that we could act and make decisions? Yeah, with heart and with intuition. And I told a story in my article for this week about choosing our cat Spike. And we went out, we blundered out. It was our 10th wedding anniversary. And we went over and spent the night at the Hotel Del Coronado, which is very flash, and had this lovely time. And on the way home, we thought, well, let's go to the shelter. 
our cat Bodhi, who at that time had just joined the family a month earlier, but she was about a year old. And we thought, wow, she needs a little brother. So we went off to the pound and we walked in and we looked at many, many, many cats. And I just had in mind that I wanted this orange tabby. Mm-hmm. And we looked and we looked at all these cats. And over in one <laughs> one corner, there was this very freaked out looking little tiny, tiny kitten. Aww. And he was a mess and he had mange and his hair was just sticking out all over the place. <laughs> and Johnny said, well, let's go look at that spiky one because he did look really mm-hmm. spiky. Mm-hmm. And we went over and of course, like, you know, it, it was not the most informed decision we ever made. Because this is a cat that had had parasites and manes, and he was not a top candidate, Aww. and he just looked weird and freaked out. But we're like, yeah, that's for us. You saw the beauty beyond the appearance. Yeah. That's what Pisces does. Pisces connects from the heart less than the mind. That's, that's where our hearts led us Aww. on that day. So I think there's a message in there for this first quarter moon and Pisces, which is there definitely is a time and place for making strategic decisions. And with all of this Capricorn energy in the sky, we're all inclined to think in that way. Mm-hmm. But Pisces, and along with Neptune that's been going through Pisces for a while, always reminds us to, to keep our hearts open to possibilities that our minds might have rejected. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. So that's what I think of the first quarter moon. Good time to get moving. That's on December 3rd. Uh, very late in the evening here, so it's really December 4th everywhere else. A time to act. Yeah. To act with heart. And as we move forward in our podcasting, we'll be talking about each phase of the moon. And, you know, we have something important happening with the moon every week. Since last week was the new moon, as you said, this week mm-hmm. we have the first quarter moon. Time to act. And then we'll be moving on next week to the full moon. It's a whole other story. But we'll save that for then. We will. For sure. Now, can you shine a little light on our next aspect? See what I did there? I see what you did there. (laughs) Oh, you that's just clever. (laughs) The sun is squaring Neptune this week. It is on December 8th. I suppose you would like me to tell the folks a little bit about what that means, what a square is. I love that. Yeah. So if you take a, a piece of square paper and you fold it into quarters, you end up with something that works like a square. So a square is a 90 degree angle. It's one quarter of the 360 degree wheel. Mm -hmm. And when planets are separated by this angle of 90 degrees, and now we're getting into geometry, definitely not math math subject. That's math. Uh, These are aspects that provide the impetus for change. They're turning points. We're being forced to resolve incompatible forces. So they usually occur when two planets are in signs that are of the same modality. So for instance, they're both cardinal signs, mutable signs, or fixed signs. Mm -hmm. And they rub each other the wrong way. It's like having an itch that you absolutely have to scratch. So you start with the basic meaning of the planets and the planets, you know, are the sun, which has to do with our life force. It has to do with the motor that's running our lives. It has to do with self-expression and being and the desire to be noticed, to have happiness, fulfillment, creativity in your life. And it is, of course, in Sagittarius. So it's saying to come creatively alive in this month, we have to do Sagittarius things. We have to do things that are different. We have to have adventures. We have to think big for ourselves. Then we take Neptune, which is of the nature of looking for truth, 
And it's about some things that we have to let go of and some new things that come in. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the waves you know, going out and coming in. And Neptune, we're looking for truth, but we're not necessarily having an easy time finding it when Neptune is the influence of the day. So having the sun and Neptune connecting, it's a fast aspect. It's really only, we're really only going to feel it for about the seventh through the ninth of this month. Uh, It moves really fast, but what it does when it's there is sensitize us and make us more kind of heart open to other people. Because even those of us who are really, really self-confident about who we are and what we want out of life, Mm -hmm. occasionally will doubt ourselves. (laughs) And we'll tend to do that more when the sun is making an aspect to Neptune. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's a square aspect means we can't ignore it. It's posing questions to us that really need to be answered. It puts things in our path. Yeah, I think that's what transits usually do. They, it's things coming to us from the outside that then we get to cope with. Uh-huh. When I started learning astrology, what there were a couple of things that confused me. One is just the fact that the sun is referred to as a planet. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, Doesn't make a lot of sense when you say it that way. You know, it's a luminary. It's, it's a star. It's not really a planet. And yet all of the astrologers call the sun and the moon planets. Mm-hmm. It's easier. It's a shortcut. Yeah. So we'll stick with planet and it's confusing. It is confusing. And know that it's not that we don't know the difference. <laughs> it's that That's we're lazy. <laughs> so <No. laughs> choose your vice. Uh, truly, they are the luminaries. Uh, you take something that's a few thousand years old, like astrology, and, you know, you just, <laughs> I guess, go with it there, huh? It's a planet. You go with it. It's easier. I also had a really hard time wrapping my brain around what the sun meant. I think you did a good job of explaining just now. But, you know, Mercury is the planet of communication and Venus is the planet of love and beauty and relationships and Mars is the planet of action and our will. But the sun always confused me the most of all of them. Maybe Mm. because you can think of it as your essence, your earth being, your ego. But I've sort of come to think of it as some combination of all of the planets. And maybe that's something Mm. that's not, it's some mix of all the planets. Maybe that's not accurate, but that's how I've sort of come to think of it. That's an interesting way to look at it. What do you think of that? I think with the sun, the reason it's difficult, and if you sit with a person and talk to them about their chart and you start to talk about their sun, they look at you very blankly Mm -hmm. because it's like asking the fish in the bowl about water. Wow. They don't know anything different. When you talk to them about their sun and you say, oh, you you have the sun in Libra, and that means that you've come into this life to really master the principle of relating equally mm-hmm. with other people, among other things. And you'll say, yeah, doesn't everyone do that? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, well, talk to a Capricorn. They, they have a very different agenda coming in than you do. So it's trying to find that thing that's really the core principle, the thing that is so taken for granted in a person that they don't have any perspective on it usually. And I think you're right in that our experience of the other planets is kind of reflected back to that solar image in the chart. They're all seen through that lens. The fish and water analogy is interesting. Yeah. Something that's in front of you all the time you don't see necessarily. It's hard to know who we are until we're interacting with other people who are not us. Mm -hmm. And that's why relationships are always tricky. (laughs) 
because they show us who we are. And that's the difficult thing with an aspect like the sun with Neptune, because Neptune is, it can be very obscuring. And people who are born with this aspect, I was born with this aspect, is that there's this great painful search for a sense of identity, for a sense of importance in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one part of the solar principle is feeling important. Not necessarily that we want to stand up and be applauded all the time, but just we want to be noticed that we exist in the world. And where the sun is in the chart really tells us what are the things that will make you feel seen and appreciated in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. And Neptune makes things kind of fuzzy. A little bit fuzzy because we're dealing on an irrational level with Neptune. You know, the sun is about, oh, this is me and I'm here and I'm on this planet and I'm doing human stuff. And Neptune's saying, but there's this whole other dimension that we can feel, but we can't touch and we can't see. And you're like, okay, but I'm just trying to deal with being a person here. (laughs) Being in my human suit. Exactly. So it becomes very tricky for people with Sun-Neptune. But when it's a square, you'll really work at it. So the squares in our charts are really what define us. They're like muscles that we build through great effort. Do you have any squares to the sun in your chart? I know you've got that conjunction. I have an opposition. Uh, No, I don't think I have any squares. I should know that off the top of my head. I think you have a square from Mercury to Neptune, if I'm remembering right. My Mercury's in Virgo, my Neptune's in Scorpio. So that's not... That's a sextile. Oh, you've got a square in there somewhere. I'm sure you do. <laughs> April, you don't have my chart memorized. I don't. I'm sorry. Working on it. I've got the I sun feel and like Neptune. If that's one of our two jobs. That should be yours. That should fall in your. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. So those are the squares are really defining characteristics. And maybe another reason it's been tough for you with the sun is you do have that strong conjunction to the sun with Uranus. So it's very hard for you to know where the sun begins and Uranus begins, you know? So on the day I was born, the sun and Uranus were like we just described at the beginning. If you looked out into the cosmos, they would be one behind the other, sort of. Kind of, yeah. Sorted together at the same degree. Not by declination, but by... By longitude. Longitude. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and not exact. And there is an orb of influence within a few degrees, you know, depending on what astrology you speak to. They'll use a different orb of influence. But when you have planets together like that, and that goes back to the beginning of our discussion where we were talking about Saturn and Pluto together this year, is it's sort of hard to know who's doing what. Mm-hmm. And when you have a lot of these conjunctions in your chart, it's really hard for you to parse out one area of your life from another area of your life. It's all just one in your head. It's all one big glump. Mush pile. Yeah, mush pile. It's much more articulate. Does that help with the sun and yeah, Neptune? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Aspects and all of that. Calling it a planet is still weird, but I'll go it along with weird. it. It is weird. We'll just I'll have go to... along with it. Yeah. See, you know, Mercury, Sextile, Neptune can just go with it. Ah, uh huh. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it gets you into trouble and draws you into the orb of people like myself. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you think? We've been going Uh, for a little while here. Do you think it's time for us to wrap this up? We're going to wrap it up, my friends. Episode two. There it is. Yay! Well, thank you for joining us, and we hope that you'll subscribe. We're finally in iTunes, and we're over the moon about that. We feel very real now. We feel like an actual podcast. That's right. And until next week, keep your feet on the ground. And your eyes on the stars. 
Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.